Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, everyone should have an outline. Um, and I will just go ahead and address the pink elephant in the room. I know there's a genealogical chart in the outline, so I know that. So don't worry about it. We're not going to spend too much time on that, but uh, that's kind of a freebie there for you guys. I'm going to mention it a little bit. But um, uh, anybody need an outline? There might actually not be enough. I mean, uh, I think I forgot the Ohio guys were joining us. But if you need one, keep your hand up. Uh, maybe they can come around. Uh, if there's not enough, you can just share. All right, let's all uh, read the, uh, the title, the bold, and the uh, smaller title under it together. Ready, set, go. Genesis 18, living in fellowship with God, an intimate fellowship. Okay, so we're coming tonight to Genesis 18. We've been in Genesis uh, pretty much uh, the last, um, basically, two semesters now, including this one. Uh, we've had a long journey, and uh, Abraham, I, I hope you all have been trying to keep in mind uh, each week as we progress to the next week, because we're talking about Abraham's story, and uh, you know we're going to eventually get to Isaac and Jacob, but Abraham is the beginning of the story, and all of his experiences, through them, God is speaking to us something. Uh, the, the point of Genesis being the first book in the Bible is not just that it shows us the beginning of creation or the universe, but it shows us the beginning of God's work in man. The reason Genesis is there is because it shows us in story, in narrative, in picture form, uh, and we've read quotes uh, you know, on this before, um, but it shows us in narrative what God wants to do in us. And so when we read the biography of Abraham, we're reading our own biography. The life that Abraham lived and the footsteps that he takes are the, is the life that we will live and the footsteps that we will take. So whenever we come across a certain crucial aspect in the life of Abraham, you need to, uh, you need to ask yourself how, uh, not only what did God do in Abraham's life, but with the full assurance of faith, when we read that, we can confidently say, God will do this in my life. So Abra uh, Abraham's life uh, is extremely inspiring, and tonight we're in Genesis 18. So first, the first point is this is living in in fellowship with God, and the basis for saying that is eventually in, in Genesis thirteen eighteen, um, tw uh, yeah thirteen eighteen, Abraham moved to the city of Hebron, and these cities are spirit have a spiritual significance behind them. We've covered that before with consecration, different aspects of the of our altar and our tent life, our worshiping God and our following God progresses through these three main cities: Shechem, Bethel, and Hebron. Shechem means um, teaching. Bethel means the house of God, and Hebron means fellowship. So that's where we get the word or the, uh, the thought of living in fellowship with God. Eventually, Abraham lived in Hebron. That means that Abraham lived in fellowship with God. And so the first little thing I got here is Hebron means fellowship. Living in fellowship with God is the destiny of every called one. Your destiny is to be in full fellowship with God. Okay, and just real quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this chart, but what this chart shows you is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all ultimately lived in Hebron. So Abraham came from, uh, from Ur of the Chaldees. God called him. A thousand miles later, he was in Hebron. Long journey back then, if you're walking or riding camels. 
Isaac was born in Beersheba. He went to Gerar, came back to Beersheba. And then in Genesis 35, 27, guess where we find Isaac? In Hebron, living in fellowship with God. Jacob is very interesting, retraces Abraham's journey. So Jacob leaves Beersheba, where he's born, goes to Haran pick up a, uh, to pick up a wife, you know. And, uh, you know, guys do things like that for the girl, you know. Willing to work the 14 years, willing to make the journey uh, for the one, you know. So then it's really interesting because um, Jacob retrace, retraces Abraham's exact uh, altar locations. He goes to Shechem, then he goes to Bethel, then he also ends up in Hebron. So isn't that incredible? All these three people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why does the Bible care to tell us where they live? Because these places have a deep spiritual significance, and God is telling us that if God has called you, there's a destination to God's calling, and that calling is fellowship. That is so encouraging to me. So no matter what your experience is right now, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're struggling with, God is calling you into the fellowship of his son. So let's all read 1 Corinthians 1.9 right below the chart together. Ready, set, go. God is able, you Called into the fellowship of his son. Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that an amazing verse? You are faithful. Abraham was faithful. Isaac was faithful. Jacob, they all had their failures. Abraham was not only the father of faith, he was the father of failure. He failed in every stage of his experience. And his, 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 uh, his, um, his experience of making it to Hebron was not based on his strength, his faithfulness, his tight grip holding on to God. It's God's faithfulness that we're called into fellowship. I love that. So no matter what the enemy is trying to lie to you, uh, what he's trying to show you about yourself, your failures, your um, your struggles, just remember God is faithful. We can take this verse at face value. God is faithful. God has called us into the fellowship of his son. Awesome. Okay, so tonight we're basically, um, we're going we're gonna to try and develop this thought of living in fellowship with God, what that means. And it's really incredible. Genesis 18 shows us what does it mean and how can we practically experience uh, living in fellowship with God. So before we jump into Genesis 18, two verses, as I was kind of considering, these two verses really came to mind as um, kind of theme verses that really encapsulate the experience we're trying to convey tonight. So how about let's have all the sisters, both sides here, read on Psalm 27.4. Ready, set, go. Okay, this verse came to mind because uh, it says one thing. Do you know what you need? You you only need one thing. You only need one thing. For all the needs, God only has one thing. And an example of this is, uh, you know, okay, think of, think of, um, I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring these props, but I didn't have a chance to. Think of, think of, imagine if I had an iron up here, iron, you know, bros, you know what an iron is? I don't know if you all use those, but one day you'll, your wife will not be ironing your clothes and you will be ironing your clothes. I know neither of those are true right now. So imagine I had an iron up here. 
imagine I have a fan, um, and I'm, I know the guys know what a fan is, and imagine I have a light, a lamp. Okay, these three, uh, uh, you know, appliances represent three different needs. An iron, uh, if it wants to function, if it wants to be useful, what does it need? It needs heat. If it doesn't have heat, that iron's not going to do anything good. It's, it's not going to change anything about your clothes. Uh, so an iron, really, its need is heat. A fan, what does that need? It needs power. It needs power to move the blades. Otherwise, it's got no usefulness. Uh, you know, a fan, the reason you have a fan is not for a room decoration. It's for when you're hot and you want to cool off. Obviously. A light, it, uh, it needs light. That's why we call it light. A lamp needs light. Okay, these three uh, appliances represent, uh, could represent three different believers who have different needs. You know, here's one, one brother saying, you know what, I just, need, I just need zeal. I need some more passion. My love for the Lord's a little cold. You know, brothers, I, I need a little accountability group here, brothers. I need some passion, brothers. P- please pray for God to give me zeal, passion. I want to be a serious, hot Christian. I know what the Bible says about being lukewarm. I don't want to be that. I need, I need heat. I need passion. Okay, brother number two over here at John Pullen, he needs some power. Feeling a little weak. Lord, give me some power, God. God, I need power to be a good testimony. I need power to, you know, not lose my face. I need power on the gospel. I need power to, you know, convince those people with the arguments that God doesn't exist. I need some power, God. Give me power. Okay, that's a need. Then we got another brother who needs, um, who needs light. Uh, and so they're thinking, you know, God, I'm not, I don't need to be that powerful. I just need to be, you know, bright. I don't need to say something. I don't need to argue. I don't need to convince people. I don't want to go, you know, duke it out in the dorms, you know, late night about, you know, uh, you know, all the, you know, the culture wars and, you know, who's saying what and, you know, how's the Bible. I don't, I don't even need to be in that room. I just need, you know, let your light shine before men, right? So God, give me light. That's what I want. Okay. Heat, power, light. Three needs. You know what they all need? One thing. They all need electricity. Neil, you got it. <laughs> they all need electricity. Think about it. Isn't that a great example? I didn't come up with it, so don't, you know, don't, don't mind saying it's great because it's not mine. <laughs> the, lamp, the, uh, the iron, if it, if it gets plugged in, does it get heat? No. It gets hot. It gets electricity. Okay, the, the fan, if it gets plugged in, in a sense, you know, does it get power? It does not get power. It gets electricity. The same thing. The lamp, if it gets plugged in, does it get light? No. It gets electricity. It shines. So the heat, the power, and the light are all, are all issues of the same thing. Electricity. What these appliances need is the same thing. What believers need is God. We only need one thing. We need to get connected with God. God will never answer a prayer for strength because you know what? God is not UPS shipping out strength to your door. God will never answer a prayer for light. You know what? God is not in the light business giving light and God will never answer a prayer for, oh God, just give me passion. God gives us himself. And that tonight, hopefully what we're going to see is that is the main 
uh, reason that we have fellowship with God. We fellowship with God not to get things from God. We fellowship with God to get God. We have need of one thing. And David knew that. If you read Psalm 27, I really wanted to put the whole thing on here because Psalm 27, 1, if you got it in your Bible, do you got it right there? Now, why don't you read Psalm 27, 1 for us real loud. 27, 1? Yeah. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Yeah. This verse, I know we probably all heard it, a very famous verse, does not say, the Lord gives me light and gives me salvation. That's a very different concept. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my fortress. God does not want to give us light as a thing. He wants to give us himself. And when, he, when, when we get God, we will find out we have the answer to all all of our needs. Amen. Okay, so so that's dwelling. Dwelling in, in the house of God is in fellowship. That's living in fellowship, dwelling, abiding. Beholding the beauty of the Lord is just enjoying God, enjoying God's awesomeness, his beautifulness, what he is. We behold that. And then inquiring, we're going to see that on intercession. Eventually, we do need to pray. We do need to ask. Uh, but our first need is not things, it's God. Amen. So when you come to pray, don't pray prioritize a list prioritize the lord is it list or lord lord i need this 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 and this and this if you if you if you're prioritizing a list guess what as you grow older your list is just going to get longer you're never going to be crossing things off your list but if you're prioritizing a person the lord not only will your list never change because the Lord is everything. He's the answer to all of our, our, all of our problems. But not, you will not be burdened in prayer. You will be enjoying prayer. Fellowship with God will be a release and an enjoyment. Okay, I know I spent a little bit of time on that. John fifteen seven, same concept. If you abide in me, that's fellowship. Staying in fellowship, abide, mean, abide means to remain. And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. So we're going to hit that on the second part. Okay, then I just wanted to throw this little equation down, because this is really what you see in John fifteen seven, um, And we're going to get into this on the intercession part, but I, I just kind of want to hit it at the beginning. Um, with prayer and with intercession and with needs, the initiator is God. God has a will. And we're going to see this in Genesis 18. God had a need for Lot. And that's why the genealogy is on there. Normally we think Lot was the bad guy. I mean, and in a sense, he, he did have some problems, you know. He wasn't taking initiative. He wasn't this. He wasn't that. But from another angle, and, you know, from a very true angle, God needed Lot. God had a will for Lot. And we're going to see that in a second. Abraham came into fellowship with God. And what happened next was Abraham got a revelation. He understood something about God's will for Lot. And based on that revelation, a burden developed within him for Lot. And based on that burden, he interceded for Lot. And based on the intercession, 
God's will was accomplished. So to me, this is a very helpful kind of like equation just to kind of understand the experience. I know everyone probably has had some experience of this, but when you, when you kind of, um, you know, kind of crystallize it or, or kind of draw down, uh, you know, a little kind of, I don't want to say equation, but you understand what's happening, you can repeat that experience. So God initiates a concern when we're in fellowship with him. We understand something. We become burdened for it. We pray for it. God does it. Okay, let's go on to the prayer of fellowship. Um, let's all read this, this sentence under the prayer of fellowship. Ready, set, go. And then let's read this next little uh, three sentences here. Ready, set, go. Okay, so this, this is just an attempt to encapsulate the thought here with the, the prayer of fellowship. Like the electrical appliances, Abraham needed a son, right? And in Genesis 18, I don't know if you know this, because it's only six chapters after Genesis 12, but 30 years have gone by. Three zero. I just turned 30 this year, okay? That means uh, if I were Abraham, you know, at birth, God would have given me a promise, and here I am today, and I... I have zero still. What God promised to do to me, I have zero of it. And more than just having zero of it, I've kind of gone back a few steps because I produced another son who became a huge problem, and God disappeared for 13 of those 30 years. Okay, Abraham is a 1,000 miles from home, 30 years after he had been called, at least 30. His father is dead. His younger brother is also dead. Uh, his other brother stayed back in Haran. So he, he's gone. He's not there with them. And it's just Abraham, Sarah, and Lot in a, in a strange, distant land. They don't even have a, a, a homestead. They don't even have a permanent residence. They're living as strangers in the land that God promised to them. And yet God's promise has not materialized. Uh, just put yourself in those shoes. A thousand miles from home. You didn't take the Megabus. You didn't take the, you know, 747. You didn't even drive. You probably walked a thousand miles into this land where basically no one is your friend. You're not going into business. You're just there waiting on God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, if you put yourself in Abraham's shoes, you must have been thinking... Man, is this God even real? I mean, did I make a huge mistake? I mean, I know some people who, you know, they gave up things to become a Christian, to pursue God. And what if you're there and you, you know, you really stepped out on a limb for God and it's like 30 years later, nothing, zero, zero, no seed. Okay, in Genesis 18, this really starts to change. Actually, it started to change in Genesis 17. Okay, 18.1, I I don't want to read this whole paragraph, I just want to hit highlights. Genesis 18.1, Jehovah appeared. Jehovah appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Okay, fellowship with God begins with God's appearing. Isn't that so good? When you fellowship with God, uh, in a sense, you know, you're there in your morning time or your afternoon time uh, or whatever, God 
Use that opportunity to show up, to appear. So if we practice having fellowship with God, guess what? God will also appear to us. Isn't that so good? Okay. Maybe some people don't think it's that good. Okay. Well, it gets better, so just keep listening. So eventually they talk. Uh, Sarah's laughing. Abraham was laughing last chapter. No one believes that God's actually going to do this because Abraham's almost dead. It's not only just 30 years, but he's almost dead. Sarah is barren. Okay? It's not just like been 30 years. It's not like they're 30-year-olds here. Uh, Abraham's almost dead. Sarah's barren. God appears and tells him, guess what? Next year, I'm going to show up again. And at the time of life, you will have a son. Okay, they go, ha, ha, ha. I'm thinking of the Abishak laugh here, bro. Give me a good laugh here, bro. You always do that laugh. Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed at God. I mean, like right there. I mean, I know sometimes we probably chuckled at God like, ha, right. But I mean, it's not like God's right in front of us. I mean, you know, there Sarah's laughing at God. That shows you how just like, man, we have just so given up on that. I mean, me having a kid? Right. That's what's going on. And that's actually part of a huge revelation that shows you how intimate uh, Abraham and Sarah had become with God. They freely talk back to God. They freely crack up when he says, hey, actually, I'm actually going to propose, I'm actually going to fulfill my promise to you. They go, huh, right. Um, this whole situation is an intimate conversation, a back and forth, uh, but it's all initiated by God's appearing. Okay, I need to speed up here. Okay, you can read the verses later. But 14, look at 14. Why don't we all read this together? 14, you see it right at the end? Yep. Ready, set, go. Amen. Is anything too marvelous for Jehovah? Okay, when we fellowship with God, you know what we find out? Nothing is too marvelous for the Lord. So if you're not having fellowship with God, if you're not practicing spending time with the Lord, you know what you only have to look at? No fulfillment. Yourself. Been 30 years since God's, you know, called me. Nothing's changed. Been 13 years since I last fellowship with God. You know? How encouraging is that? But in fellowship with God, if we fellowship with God, we get the revelation that all of our impossibilities with God are possibilities. Okay, then let me just read you Genesis 21.1. This is next year. Listen, listen to the underlines here. I love this. And Jehovah visited Sarah as he had said. And Jehovah did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Okay, so in fellowship with God, Jehovah promises, Jehovah visits, and Jehovah does. God does it all. Isn't that so encouraging? Anyways, I hope that would encourage you guys to spend time with the Lord. No matter what you're facing, when we fellowship with God, we get encouraged. God does. God promises. God visits. Nothing's too marvelous for God. Okay, flip the page. Practical points on fellowship. I'm not actually really going to cover these, uh, but I wanted to put them there uh, just so y'all can kind of be aware. Let's just read these 10 practical points on fellowship. Let's start with the sisters, alternate, then the brothers. Ready, set, go. Amen. And that's what the light shines upon. 
Okay, so I hope this would just kind of give you some practical guidelines. This is not a method. This is not an equation. But this does kind of encapsulate our experience of fellowship with God. And I do just want to touch on a few of these. Um, the first one is speak genuinely from your heart with whatever you feel in your spirit. When we're with the Lord in fellowship, we do not need to compose sentences. We do not need to rehash learned prayers. We're not in front of a judge where we've got to be careful with our language. We're not writing an essay where we've got to exactly you know, formulate things. We're talking with a friend. Okay, last time you spoke with your friend, did you worry what you were going to say? You, it just flows freely. Okay, with fellowship with God, we need to have that kind of freedom and genuineness. If you're sad, tell the Lord you're sad. If you feel like crying, just cry. If you feel like laughing, laugh. If you feel like rejoicing and saying, praise the Lord, say praise the Lord. Yeah. Do whatever you feel within your spirit. If you, I mean... Lord Jesus, the problem is prayer becomes so formalized. Who has ever bowed the knee? I mean, have you ever bowed the knee in praying? I mean, I hope you have. Have you ever just rejoiced, thrown the book down that you're reading, and just like praised God because he spoke to you? I hope you have that experience. Don't let your prayer time be the exact same every time, rehashing learned prayers. That is not genuine. Do whatever you feel the Spirit is leading to you, and you will touch God. Okay, don't be influenced by memory. Don't pay attention to composing sentences. Rely upon the blood. When we fellowship with God, Satan will start to accuse us and condemn us because he wants to stop our fellowship with God. So when you sense the enemy's accusation, you need to rely upon the blood. And you may need to tell him, guess what, Satan? No blood for you. I got the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Seriously. And then when you sense... Oh, you got a question? Okay, do not be influenced by memory. So the point with that is... Great question. The point with that is... Um, for instance, a lot of times in our prayer time, uh, w- you know, we have kind of concerns on our heart. We have, um, you know, maybe we have a prayer list. We know of certain things that need to be prayed for. Um, you know, remember, I got a test. I need to pray for that. I've got, you know, my brother Abshek, he's sick. And so when we come to our prayer time, um, yeah, you're sick in a different kind of way, bro. Um, so if, okay, there is a need for that kind of prayer, for sure. But the kind of prayer we're talking about is not based on our remembrance of things. It's based on our instant uh, feeling from the Lord. So when we come to the Lord to fellowship, we want to lay aside even our list, even our memory of things we know need to be prayed for. There is a time that we do need to pray for those things, but our first priority is to touch the Lord. Lord Jesus, here I am. Lord, I had a horrible day, Lord. I probably failed my test, and my financial aid's not coming through, Lord. I'm just not happy about that at all. And you just start talking with the Lord based on your current sense within. And what the Lord will start doing is he will start supplying you. You're getting plugged into the outlet. And the Lord is starting to course within you. So the point of fellowship is to touch God, not to first take care of your list. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Okay, and then um, confess what the light shines upon. Here's another big one. When we're fellowshipping with the Lord, we're actually not responsible for all the sins we've committed. Did you realize that? 
That's another temptation to start digging. Oh, yeah, what sins have I not confessed yet? Uh, you know, and you just start going on this tangent of how bad you are, right. looking for filth to tell God about. Okay, God knows about that. We confess only what the light shines on at that moment because our fellowship with God is only conditioned on what we become aware of in our fellowship with God. It's not based on our entire history of sin. And Satan will like to pull you away from fellowship with God and make you go on a manhunt for all the sins, all the crimes, all the faults. And eventually, you know what? After 10 minutes, you've wasted all your time, you haven't touched God, and you feel really bad about yourself because you know how much things you've done. So our fellowship with God, we just follow the sense within and follow the shining of the light. Okay, anyways, that's all we got for that. Okay, then we'll um, turn into intercession here. Let's read um, under point two, the, the three sentences here. Ready, set, go. needs man. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Probably some of y'all are questioning that last sentence. Okay, but these two aspects, this is what is incredible to me about Genesis 18. We know Genesis 1:26 is like one of the most important verses of the entire Bible. And Genesis 1:26 tells us what God's purpose is, image and dominion. Genesis 18 shows us how does image and dominion interface with our prayer life? Image interfaces with our prayer life by when we fellowship with God, we get God. And then we express God's image. So uh, an iron expresses the heat of the electricity. A fan expresses the power of the electricity. A light expresses the shining of the electricity. So through prayer, we secure God's image. Check mark on God's purpose through prayer. Okay, the second part. What about God's dominion? What about God's authority? What about all the brothers who are struggling, who are not expressing God's image? Intercessor, intercessory prayer takes care of God's dominion. And so we not only express God, but we rise up to say no to Sodom and yes to God's intention for our fallen brothers. So that's what we're going to see. In the first one, we really need God. The lamp really needs the electricity. In this one, believe it or not, God really does need us to pray before he can fully accomplish his purpose. Let's look at Genesis eighteen seventeen, And let's read, uh, let's have the guys read this one. And let's have the girls read Amos 3, 7. Ready, brothers? Set, go. And Okay, isn't that an incredible verse in Amos? Surely the Lord will not do anything unless he first reveals his secrets. Shall I hide what I'm about to do to Abraham? That's a secret. God had a secret intention toward Lot, not just toward destroying Sodom. And so because he he intended to do that, he, uh, I don't know what what the best word is, but he, he, uh, he, I don't know. He wanted to tell the secret to Abraham because he needed Abraham to pray. Okay, the Lord 
The Lord reveals things to us for our cooperation. That's an incredible concept. Okay, then Psalm 8-4 may make more sense now. What is mortal man that you remember him? And the son of man that you visit him? Man is important to God. That's why he visits him. God needs man to cooperate with him. That's why he visits him. He visited Abraham to secure an intercessor. Okay, so let's look at the genealogy real quick on this point. We've got to look at it real quick. So this genealogy will show you why God was so burdened for Lot. Okay, so if you look at the top, Terah is the dad. I don't know if you knew this, but Terah begot Abraham, Sarah, Nahor, and Haran. Sarah was Abraham's half-sister, different, different mother. Okay, but if you track each one of these, these, um, these uh, sons and daughters, it's really incredible. Abraham and Sarah produce who? Okay, that's the first half of Genesis 18. How is Isaac going to get produced? Right there, Abraham and Sarah. If you go over to um, Haran, his son was Lot, right? Okay. If you go back to Isaac, Isaac marries Rebekah, who is the daughter of Bethuel, who is the daughter of Nahor. So Abraham's other brother... You know, down the line, eventually Rebecca comes out and Rebecca marries Isaac. Okay, they have Jacob. And then look at this. Bethuel's son Laban produces Leah and Rachel. That's Jacob's two wives. Okay. Are y'all, y'all following me here? Yeah. Okay, so get this. Okay, so that is the line of God's purpose right there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's where we're going. And then Jacob becomes Israel, the 12 children of Israel. And Judah, the line of the kings, eventually produces a guy named Boaz. Okay, but get this. Where does Ruth, his wife, come from? What's that? What does this mean? Uh, the little squiggle means I'm, I'm uh, leaving out people in the line. So I'm skipping over a lot just to kind of get to the next main character. Ruth comes from Lot. Did you know that? Okay. Ruth eventually jumps back into God's purpose and marries Boaz. And they ultimately produce David. And David ultimately produces Christ. So God was burdened for Lot because Lot was a key Lot would produce a key ancestor of Jesus. So guess what? If Lot was gone, guess who's gone? Yes. I mean, I mean, to me, this was incredible. Lot left the Lot, Lot left Abraham. Remember when Chris was talking about that? Lot left God's people. The only people on earth at that, that time was Abraham's family. Lot said goodbye. I'm choosing for myself. How did Ruth get back in? Remember this story with Ruth? She said, I'm not going to let you go. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And your people will become my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth chose rightly and got back into the genealogy of Christ. Isn't that incredible? So if Lot had died, if Lot had left, God was like... God was concerned for Lot because he was a key figure in the producing of Christ. And Lot and Isaac is the two people that Genesis 18 is about. To me, that's incredible. So God was burdened for Lot. Okay, we're almost out of time. Let me just wrap up here. Um, Oh, real quick point of application on that. So what that means to us today is look beyond the present condition of the brothers and sisters around you. There may be some brothers and sisters you know who are living in Sodom, not fellowship with God. They're living in sin. 
And you may write them off. That's the tendency of fallen man. Go, well, they're doing bad. You know, at least I'm doing good, right? That's our fallen tendency. Abraham did not do that. In a sense, he looked beyond and saw down to generations. Lot is going to produce Ruth, and Ruth is going to produce Christ. So when we see our brothers and sisters struggling with sin, don't, don't look at the present condition. Look beyond it and pray for that brother with the full assurance this brother one day is going to bring forth Christ. Isn't that incredible? That's the application for us today. Never trust the present situation. If it's seen, it's temporary. That's a verse in 2 Corinthians 4. Don't believe the things that are seen. They're temporary. Believe the things that are not seen, for they are eternal. Abraham believed what was not seen for Lot. Okay, let's just end with... um, Let's just end with some of these verses here. Uh, Let's have the sisters on Isaiah 45, then the brothers on Isaiah 59, and then everybody on Ezekiel 36. Y'all see those verses? Okay, ready, set, go. And concerning the work of my hand, command me. All right, brothers. And he saw that there was no man, and he was appalled. Woo! Okay, all together. Thus says the Lord Jehovah. Okay, so just to end on these three verses, uh, when, when there is no intercessor for God's people, God is appalled at that situation because nothing is too wonderful for him. So if some people will just rise up, pray in faith, pray out God's will, God's will will be accomplished. So if we are not interceding for people around us who we know are struggling, God's appalled at that. He's like, why won't you pray? If you just pray, I can do it all. Okay, and then Ezekiel 36 basically says, whatever the Lord wants to do, before he does it, we inquire of him to do it. And then he does it for us. Okay.